Looks like we have an official review. The officials have reviewed the situation and they have determined the no call was sent. Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Official Review Podcast. For this episode, I sat down in person with Karafi, head NSO for Copenhagen Roller Derby, and someone that has been in the sport for over 10 years as well. We talk about what a league can do to help grow the officiating team, what officials can do to get out of their own bubble, and what NSO position skaters should definitely do at least once. So without further ado, let's jump into today's guest introduction. To the sport, skates are essential. But in 2012, our guest today joined the league in Helsinki and would become a driving force in the progression of roller derby without exactly that essential part. Just like Helsinki became the world's design capital in 2012, she became a leading force in designing of how the game is planned, organized and run today. Ticking off boxes left and right as head and tournament head NSO, she officiated in city after city and country after country. But no matter how busy she always was, our guest always made sure that people around her would learn, feel welcome and most of all enjoy the ride. The European level of officiating would not be on the high level it is today if it wasn't for our guest. A great NSO, friend and even better human being, welcome to the official review. Giraffe. Oh. <laughs> I understand why people get so awkward after these introductions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's the whole point. I'll just try to make it really awkward for people. <laughs> so, Picante started Derby in Helsinki while not being from there. You started Derby in Helsinki while not being from there. What got you to join? Well, originally it was actually by accident because it was like, well, I guess it's like it is with most people. But um, I had, of course, like heard a little bit about roller derby before. I think I've heard a mm. podcast about roller derby or something. Really? Yeah, there was like... I'm not the first. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it was one of those um, things mom never told you or something. Had mm. an episode about roller derby. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not sure if I had seen Whip It. I don't think I had. Yeah. I don't remember when it came out. But um, I kind of knew a little bit about what it was. Mm. And then a friend of a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to join her for the beginner's course that Kalio hosts uh, every year, or mm. did back then. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how to skate, but that's not a requirement, so... Uh, let's try it and we went and it was exhausting Mm -hmm. because it was two days of training Mm -hmm. it's like from morning to evening it was very fun like one day was out in like this industrial neighborhood I think and the other one was in a sports hall Mm -hmm. so it was like you know sounds like Mad Max or survival survival course or anything but it was really uh, I just found it very intriguing so I kind of started Mm. and trained and i think what i found fascinating back then was as well that this whole experience of learning a physical skill Mm. for the first time properly like i had skated a little bit as a kid like as a teenager or something but Mm -hmm. not really never got good at it um 
So this thing where, where you're like, I put on skates and I can't do anything. And mm-hmm. then a month later, I can do something. And then a month later, I can kind of skate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how it started. And then during our minimum skills, uh, I got injured. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I got like, we were doing like hitting drills. Uh, and I bruised, I bruised a rib. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of like a three-month injury. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then I started officiating, or we had already started officiating a little bit, because mm. they also did, like, they invited, uh, it was Off Track, who came to Helsinki and did, like, oh, a, yeah. yeah, he came and did, like, a little NSO boot camp mm. for all the new skaters. Mm-hmm. I remember we sat in the bleachers while the others trained mm. and learned NSOing stuff. Nice. Um, and we already started officiating games and stuff during the fresh meet as well. And then I kind of, I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, clipboards and checklists and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and and it kind of, uh, yeah, that spoke to me. And then, um, yeah, it just kind of, I, I feel like I found my people in officiating like mm. immediately as well. Mm. So it's like. It's the, the geeky part of it, in mm. a way. <laughs> and was it was that clear for you from that point that you wanted to be like this dedicated NSO? Or were you like, no, I want to try out different things, but that's definitely one thing I want to do? Or was it like, no, like this is the one thing I want to do? I think it was it was pretty clear early on that, that I found officiating more satisfying, in a way. Mm. Even though I like skating and I was like... I'd like to get better uh, at skating as well. Like, I usually skate maybe like a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I also know like I'm not really, I'm not competitive in this kind of, in that way. Mm. Uh, and I know that I'm not the kind of person that would dedicate enough time to skating to become like you know useful to a team and that and like in the way that i would like because yeah, i okay. like being useful <laughs> so that's also why like i think officiating speaks to me so much mm. it's like i like to help other achieve other people achieve their goals and become better at what they do and stuff and mm. i feel like i can do that better with officiating so i think that's kind of why i ended up there mm. and then the league at the time didn't have a head in so so uh but they had a really good rep crew mm-hmm. already back then. They were like uh, Acid Barrett and Angry Iglesias and Castro uh, yeah. Piper and Shaq and all those people. Yeah. Uh, and several others. Um, so they had like a pretty solid rep crew already back then. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really have any dedicated NSOs mm. at all. Um, Helsinki Roller Derby had like some people that they they that had experience. Like uh, I learned a lot from oh, what was her name? Isis mm. uh, and the Helcoholic. Okay. Yeah. There's like a lot of names that just come back to my mind with yeah. the associate with people. Like, so yeah. they they're kind of those two were the early ones that I learned a lot from apart from like off track. Like off track gave me like the foundation, mm-hmm. you could say, like the big picture, like you know, learning the full package kind of yeah. thing, and yeah. then and then 
then those other tools were were like the the people that you would learn from like on a weekly basis or mm-hmm. like a monthly basis or something when you had like games or scrimmages you know you could ask them the questions yeah so it's like uh, and that was kind of yeah the foundation of where we started mm. so um, and yeah. would would you say that it was Calio that had such a good support structure for officials and officiating that they were just very successful through that or was it pretty much self-organized by the officials and it could have been whatever league but it just so happened to be Calio that there was like this huge and great um, official school in general I think it was kind of a perfect storm of like several things I don't just think it was like the the fact that there was like officials there or they you know they everything was created from there it was also the league because they were very aware of the fact that we needed to organize things for officials and make sure that they had you know a good place to work from as well like mm-hmm. you can't you can't just take a lot of great officials and plot them in to a league and then things will just happen mm-hmm. It's like uh, you need, like they organized the NSO boot camp, like they brought in people from abroad yeah. who were experienced and could, could teach uh, things properly and like mm. also the bigger perspective and everything. Um, and also like that also gave us a network to like uh, my first tournaments and stuff like that when I was traveling abroad. Mm. It's like they were the ones uh, staffing me there because mm-hmm. they knew me they had met me yeah uh, and they came to Finland often they were often invited back to officiate games mm. and stuff so they kind of created this this culture of like uh, for our own officials to grow we both need to bring officials in from the outside who can teach and mentor yeah. them and then also we need to support them traveling yeah um, and that was really really important and it's something that I've believed in the entire time when I've like when I work with leagues, because I've been the head NSO for Kalio and I've been the head NSO for Copenhagen, and it's something that I always focus a lot on. It's like yeah. there are there are also officials that are not able to travel, and they also need to be able to develop their skills. Right. Yeah. And and one way of doing that is bringing people in from the outside mm. and giving them the experience and exposure that way, mm. um, and also supporting them when they are able to travel so like we also do travel support and like uh, you know pay for flights and stuff mm. because it's part of the education of the officials that yeah. we have locally and yeah. and if they don't get that experience by traveling abroad um, it can be very very hard to grow as an official mm. so it's something that's important to support and Kalio was Absolutely. very good at that yeah and it's it, just from what you're saying is it sounds like that Kalio was a bit of like ahead of maybe their their time yeah. so that i feel like what they understood back then again we're talking about like 2012 and 2013 um took a long while in roller derby for other leagues to understand that yeah, if they want right. to nurture an officiating culture in their league and benefit from it they need to invest in it yeah i think that's right they they started very early on it's like the first thing like I remember it's like yeah boot camp with off track Mm. (laughs) and uh, it's like uh, they were very they're generally 
in general they were a very good league at like they were organizing a lot of things for other like the broader picture of roller derby as well mm. to develop <clears throat> roller derby in Finland for example as well they had like uh, Suorok which was basically like a, a little bit of a copy of Erok but just mm. for Finland um, but that had also more skater boot camp type things but yeah. then also organizational uh, sessions and stuff like that for for the whole country so like mm. leagues would come and like get tips on how to organize a bout and like how to do other things like that have to do with the organization of of the roller derby league and and uh, and also officiating was also a part uh, of that so we yeah. also hosted uh, officiating boot camps uh, yeah it was it was uh, a great culture in that way that they were very um had a lot of focus on developing mm. roller derby and um I feel very lucky <laughs> to have yeah. been part of that because it's also the reason why I I am where I am <laughs> and the experiences that I've had uh, throughout the years. So, yeah. And I think just by like the names you mentioned that came out of this structure is uh, really proves that this works. Like those yeah. were all names that went on to become highly regarded officials all over Europe, if not in Rollerby entirely. So like this is I think this is the proof we can point to and be like you know this works like if we nurture this culture this works we will all benefit from yeah. it the league mostly I mean Kalio is a is a very like very well known successful league mm. well now they're quite small well, I mean that's a <laughs> they kind of they yeah they suffered during corona mm. uh, also because of course this they have two leagues in Helsinki they have like yeah. Helsinki Roller Derby and Kalio And after Corona, I think a lot of it got swallowed up a little bit by Cali, uh, by Helsinki because mm. uh, they were the most active at the time. Okay. And a lot of the old people have kind of retired, like the old skater, the old league yeah. Yeah. foundation. Mm. Um, but they're, they're slowly getting back up there. And I get so happy every time I see posts and they're like, yeah, we have new people. And like nice. they have games. And I was there uh, earlier this year and it was, it was so nice. <laughs> it's good it's good that the foundation seems to be so stable that they can sustain to be a league even after a pandemic that no one of us had lived through before yeah yeah it's like a lot of things have have been affected by that yeah definitely definitely but um you had your boot camp off track was there taught you like all the basics you You've done stuff. When was the first time you actually, you know, packed your clipboards and uh, went to an event? And what was like? What was the first event you really can remember that was, yeah, really, you know, got you got you going? That's a that's a memory for you. Oh, that's hard to say. <laughs> There were so many good ones. I think. I mean, some of the early experiences that really uh, made me feel like, okay, this is. This is great. And also the whole travel travel with Derby thing is mm. like obviously a big part of it because we all do that a lot. A lot of us do that a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but there was like Malmö Derby Festival. Like uh, the first year I went, I was jam timer, I think. Mm -hmm. In the very start of my Derby career, I did a lot of jam timing. Right. I had like 60 games of jam timing before I had much else yeah, okay. <laughs> I think. so yeah I was 
jam timer in the blazing sun in Malmö mm. in a skate park. Uh, again with off track. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was off track. Yes, it was off track. Um, that was like a great experience because it was like this whole. We had like a similar type of event, but much smaller and just finished. It was like the Quesa Clásico, the mm. the summer classic, which okay. was always like the game between Helsinki and Kalio, All right, yeah. which was the only outdoor game we had in, in Finland every year. Okay. Um, it's like a real derby derby. Yeah, it felt very derby derby. It was very fun um, with like, you know, an outdoor like kind of floor asphalt hockey mm-hmm. track uh, where the audience would stand outside of a fence like in the park and okay. look in um, so those kind of outdoor events where you have like a, a random audience that just walks by yeah that's kind of that that reminds me of the early days mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that was very nice and then also i think uh, some of my first tournaments um where i traveled abroad um Ah, you know my derby CV better than me, probably. <laughs> um, but I went, was it Blood Skates and in, in, in Tränen or something it was called in, in the Netherlands? Okay. Which I think was my first crew head. Yeah. Uh, gig. Do you remember abroad. when that was? Uh, 13, I want to say. Wow. Yeah, okay. Because, like, I mean, that's. You started in 12 and you're already crew heading in 13, like yeah. shows. I think it was in 13. Um, but that, again, it was like the, the whole thing of the network mm. effect in a way, because um, that was Ironmonger. And he was one of those that also was invited back to Finland a lot to, yeah. to head, head uh, our games. Um, so he knew me. Mm. So he staffed me as a crew head. It's like there's this new official in Finland. Like, let's give them a chance. Yeah. Um, and that was a great experience because I really love crew heading. Mm. It's like, again, it's like I like seeing other people succeed. <laughs> so when I can help my crew do that, it's like that's the most satisfying thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, and back back then, of course, I didn't have as much much experience, but it was like, yeah. I remember that as being a lot of fun. Mm. And probably something you learned a lot from as well. Yeah. Speaking of it, getting experience. Yeah, definitely. There, there's been a lot of tournaments like that where I'm like, um, you have these experiences and then you're like, okay, this is like a big step forward. Like you learn something new. But mm. it's also like I, I've been very, um, I always look for new stuff too. To learn yeah like even when you're super experienced i think that's really important that you kind of uh, are aware of where you start to lack again yeah. mm-hmm. because you will always start doing that when you haven't done something in a while yeah and when you when you are experienced you often get staffed in the same positions mm-hmm. over and over again because that's where you need it the most yeah and that's where the most experience is needed because they're kind of support system uh, positions for other mm-hmm. um, NSOs, which means uh, I rarely get to penalty box time and mm. I rarely get to, you know, do this and that yeah. and that's like scorekeep or whatever, right. because that's often where you put people that have little experience or, or less experience. 
if you are at a game where, where you know, a lower level game or you're traveling to a tournament or something, you never get the chance to kind of do mm. those things. Um, so you have to kind of consciously seek them out. Yeah. <laughs> and it's especially what you mentioned is that you start like even if you've done it a hundred times if you not do it for a while you start to lack again like the muscle memory isn't there yeah. anymore and then also the dynamics of the games are changing sometimes with rules updates like you could have you know you could be probably penalty box timing and it feels one way and then you do it a year later and it feels completely different again yeah exactly and it's like uh you have you have to be very conscious about like you know uh, your knowledge degrades over time mm. it's just it's not going to be at the forefront of your mind mm. in a situation as quickly as you're used to but you're you think you know and mm. you think you're going to be as fast and you think you're going to have the knowledge right at the tip of your tongue but you're not gonna if you yeah. haven't used it for a year. And mm. I think for a lot of people that have come back from the pandemic in the beginning, they're also like a little bit shocked with themselves, you know, that they're like, oh, <laughs> I used to know this by, you know, I didn't even have to think about this. Yeah. Like my body knew this, like I could do it without thinking. But it takes some time to, yeah. to get back into that. Definitely. Like and my it, first scrimmage after the pandemic, I, I don't know, like I called a penalty and I was like, Okay, now I have to do a hand signal. Exactly. Which one was it again? It's yeah. Like, yeah. And that can be really demotivating. I think mm. like for a lot of people, they get kind of shocked by it. They come back to Derby um, after a long break and then they feel like they are, they're not as good as they used to be and they mm -hmm. don't like that feeling. And it's like, that's very natural, <laughs> I yeah, feel. And it's, I think you also have to kind of uh, give yourself some, you know, leeway in that and say like well i'm still good mm. <laughs> you know i'm still gonna be useful to this game even though i'm rusty yeah and i'm gonna get back to yeah. where i was yeah you just need to kind of get the muscle memory back and it's also probably like if you come back to this game after a while even if you're rusty you bring something else and that's just the experience like you see i think with experience you see the game a bit more different you can anticipate better you kind of know what will or is possible to happen in front of you and you can prepare for it in a very different way even like even if the motions are rusty i think the way you see it is still gonna profit you pretty much yeah and you also have the kind of the rules instinct like even if you are not a hundred percent sure you know of the wording of a rule or you can't like what rule is it or whatever mm. that applies here you can just by the wealth of knowledge you have collected over the years and mm. how the rules work, you can kind of, you know, say like, well, the way, if you rule it this way, it's going to fit in within the rules. Yeah. Like, it's going to be all right. right? Yeah. Like, you, yeah. you just make a, a gut decision in some situations because also not everything is written down. But yeah. it, you become more confident because it's like, yeah, we're going to call it this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, you, I don't have to think too much about it still. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I just so, have the experience. I know it's like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of that, do you think that when he started, uh, the WFTDA provided a lot of like best practices, insights into, especially NSOing, I mean, officiating in general, but NSOing so that you could learn from that or was it more like this 
collective knowledge that we used in Europe um, and we're not really paying, maybe not paying attention to everything that came from across the pond. I think that's really, um, it's, it's, it's so interesting to kind of think back, I feel mm. like, because uh, like back then I don't remember even how much documentation there was. Mm. Um, also, the, some of the stats were like really complicated. Like the lineup tracking sheets had like you you were tracking the, the your team and then you were tracking the other team's jammer at the same time and how many laps they did around the pack. It's like Jesus fucking Christ. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was so like and nobody ever got it right, like a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So it was kind of useless, and they also got away with it uh, or like got rid of it. Got rid of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But. I don't remember there being a really a, like a, a manual back then. And the only thing there was from the WFTDA were the clinics, mm -hmm. um, which were for like uh, certification and, st and stuff as well. So you yeah. would take the, the hella hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rule set, you would, you, you would go to the clinic, you would do like this little mini, you would, yeah, there would be a, a clinic instructor who would fly over the mm. pond and tell you all the things and then you would have a little test at the end which was a very typical american uh, like a multi multiple choice multiple I, choice yeah i had to take this a couple of times <laughs> before i actually passed it yeah yeah we all did because you the first thing you had to do was learn how to take the test yeah true. and then you know and then you maybe got it on the second try <laughs> you know um, and, and also I, how to interpret the questions or the answers right. because they were also like a little bit like mm, what does it even mean and I, I also think there was a version of the test that was out there quite long that you had to specifically answer wrong to get the points on the question yeah it was like it was a little bit dumb <laughs> but it was a start yeah. you know and uh, so yeah we went to the clinics and uh, and that was kind of how you did it back then and mm -hmm. I also I think one thing that I, I was very aware of back then as well was these kind of like derby bubbles like officiating bubbles mm -hmm. you also in Europe you had like I mean of course uh, there was the states like North America how they did things over there which you could feel when they came over here they did things a little bit differently yes, or yeah. uh, interpreted things a little bit differently and then but in Europe within Europe you also had that because people weren't traveling as much yet. And mm. also you had like in England, for example, they did things in a certain way. And, mm -hmm. and that was kind of a contrast to how things happened in the rest of Europe yeah. um, to some extent. So you would have like clashes going on. Mm -hmm. And then you would also have like little very local bubbles. Mm -hmm. So you would have people that didn't travel as much and then or never traveled outside of their own country. And that also created these weird little bubbles where people did things their own way. And yeah. then it all didn't always match with how other people did things. So it, mm. there was like weird stuff going on <laughs> in the early days. And it, it took a couple of years mm -hmm. for that to kind of even out, I feel like. And you still have it like to some extent here and yeah. there. But I think it's, it's the globalization trend within roller derby has kind of helped that yeah. a little bit. And I think that's... One of those that that's one of the reasons why official meet like officials meetings were scheduled for sometimes two hours just to you know align on how are we calling this yeah how are we assessing that 
Like the three-second rule. <laughs> like, yeah. Forearms. That's the thing with doing this. Like, a lot of those, yeah, right? Yeah. If the forearm lays on, uh, like, your opponent for three seconds, yeah. they get a minor for it. Was yeah. it a... I don't I, I, never, oh. I never had to learn all those kind of uh, my new things. But, yes, I was very aware of that. There were all these, like, also the, all the unwritten stuff that, mm. you know, that is always with, with, with things like these. That all the unwritten stuff become local culture yeah and then when you travel somewhere else they do things differently because mm. they have other unwritten rules yeah I, re so, uh, I remember one really specific thing is that at some point there was when was it the blocker yeah if the blocker was false starting on the jammer line they were considered ahead of everyone yes so what they had to do or what they could do was like skate in uh, against derby direction to rejoin the whole pack from the front yeah which does like to the audience must have seemed very strange like there's this one player getting a warning from someone and then runs around the track in the wrong direction to join him from the front and everything was good again and then i know that uh, we did that's what we did in europe at least and then we had a official from the states over for a game in berlin and apparently they did that differently because um he gave an out-of-play warning to the skater trying to rejoin the back from the front and then also like ultimately um, giving them a penalty. Oh. Like, yeah, that's a very specific <laughs> thing stuck in my head for because that's... But that's a typical, that's such a good example of, of the differences. Yeah. It's like because you can have like, the rules are written in a way where it's, it's easy to sometimes misunderstand something. Like if mm. you don't see the full picture or you, you kind of skip one word, Mm -hmm. that kind of changes the meaning then it you you see on on in all our like facebook groups with like rules questions and officiating groups and stuff you will sometimes see like officials especially ones that are kind of isolated and on their own they mm -hmm. kind of use that as like i need to understand this yeah. and then they kind of post a scenario where you're like but that makes total sense and they're like but I don't understand this is part of the rule that, you know, yeah. it would mean that this and this and this is like, no, 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 you're missing this other part over here. That is a whole chapter. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, uh, uh, it's hard to learn without your peers mm -hmm. in a way. So that's also why it's like you, you, you really learn from your peers. I, I mm. really believe that if you like, even I, if I, the reason why I like to travel a lot when I did that, I don't travel as much these days. Mm -hmm was because every time I went somewhere, I would learn how other people do things. Right. And it's like, uh, it either makes you more sure that your way is probably better, <laughs> <laughs> or it, it gives you the flexibility of being able to like work with that, or, it, or how to deal with it in the situation, mm -hmm. or, or all that kind of stuff. Because it, weird stuff happens all the time in Durham. Right. Yeah. And also with if skaters behave in new ways that you're not used to, that also teaches you a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that, I think one thing that's indefinite in Derby is like the power of skaters to exploit loopholes in the rules, like mm -hmm. to just like find those and exploit them. And then it happens the first time in front of you, like, I don't understand what just <laughs> happened. I mean, yes, if we like go by the rules word by word, you've done nothing wrong. But we always have to take the intention of the rule and the intention of like the basis of the game into account here. And that obviously is something, you know, we should at least talk about being not legal. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, skater shenanigans. Like the multiple jammers lining up on track. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. <laughs> it was like, yeah, technically legal, but. Uh, <laughs> but still. Yeah. yeah. And you know, our poor light up trackers. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll just, you know, I'll just wait. It's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, and the scorekeepers and the scoreboard operators. Mm. <laughs> but with but, all yeah. those. Like with the distributed knowledge, even in Europe, uh, like you mentioned, with the UK doing different and uh, France probably to Germany, to Finland, to Sweden, to Norway, to wherever. Do you think that still Europe as a whole had a big influence on how the WIFTA shaped officiating for the now and the future? Uh, I think to some extent, yes, because I think they also needed to kind of figure out how to make the rules um, like work everywhere. Like mm. they they also know that uh, North America is not Derby. Mm. You know, it's like the world is Derby. There's Derby all over. And I know that not everybody feels like this, but I feel like they are working very hard at like figuring out how Derby works in Europe mm. and how to fit that in with the rest of the organization. So I think, I feel like they've been very active in like trying to learn how mm-hmm. we do things and listen to us. And I think it's also been, there's been a lot of European officials that have put a lot of work in telling WFDDA about what does Derby look like in Europe and mm-hmm. like how do we do things and why. I think they've taken some of that on as well. Um, yeah. And I think I, I I feel like I see the changes in the WFDA as well. Mm. And that's like uh, it's it's changed the organization. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, and also of course it helps that over the years a lot more Americans have been over here, and a lot of Europeans have been in the states. So the knowledge ex- knowledge exchange has been bigger as well, kind of bursting some of the bubbles. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So we we become more. The, the common knowledge has has become bigger like yeah. is this is this fewer yeah, of course there's still local bubbles local cultures of how to do things but it's there's more consensus broadly speaking mm. but I feel like there 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 are tendencies again for like bubbles to start like especially with how big France is uh, at the moment with Derby there's so many events again. They they have played an insane amount of games already this yeah. year. I don't understand how they can even keep up. Like I feel like I'm worried. <laughs> to be Frost honest, going to take over Derby. Yeah, also because when you have so many events happening in one spot, it means the officials there they are only used to doing their own events because they are busy. Mm. Um, which means that they don't get the the outside experience they don't get to travel uh, other places to see how things are done so they they are so used to how to do things their way that 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 can be a danger i also know there's a lot of really experienced um officials in france who are used to traveling a lot and are have a lot of really good knowledge Mm. that will probably counteract that to some degree Mm -hmm. but it's like yeah it's very interesting to see Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to uh, the Junior World Cup. Oh wow! In, in summer, yeah. um, as a team staff for the very first time. Oh, exciting! <laughs> With our junior team, yeah. That's exciting. Um, 
And it's gonna be interesting to see the officiating from the outside. Yeah, it's probably like, it's uh, tough to take your focus off of this, like to fo really focus on you know your team staff duties. I mean, stuff. it's gonna help that they're absolutely adorable juniors. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I'm probably gonna be more focused on being a derby mom mm. in that context than being a. I'm not gonna be a bench coach or anything. I'm just gonna be like support staff. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to be hard not to look at the officials <laughs> because that's what I'm used to. But with this, um, just jumping back to like this, uh, those bubbles or this like distributed knowledges in different places and without the exchange, do you think that it would be beneficial for officiating to have more of those international uh, groups like the famous Army of Darkness? So that just to lure people in to make it look cool to the outside to also make it like one of the bases for knowledge exchange yeah it's like one of the things i've been wanting to do in denmark uh, which i haven't really had the the spoons to do mm. <laughs> because i've had so many other things to take care of i'm also part of the national governing body in denmark and all that kind of stuff so there's always lots of things yeah, yeah. i'm way too <laughs> involved i'm on the board i'm like ah. <laughs> doing everything But one of the things that I really want to do is like do like more of a because we don't have that many officials in Denmark at the mm -hmm. moment. Like we are a tiny little gang. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the people that have been doing it for a while, they're kind of starting to be like, oh, I'm having I'm starting to have other hobbies that are more interesting or whatever. Um, so I really want to make sure that the ones we have, that they get the support they need mm -hmm. and get to like um, feel that they have a place to go yeah. um, because we are six leagues in Denmark overall so not that many yeah um, and there I mean Denmark is a small country so it's not that far apart like Olbo is like what is it four or five hours but for them to just come to Copenhagen for a game um, that's a long trip Or yeah. for us to go there, it's a it's a long trip, mm. but it's uh, and the other leagues don't have that many skaters either. So we have like three leagues that are rather small, and then you know some that are a little bit in between. And they do a lot of pickup games where they kind of you know they they join up and then play together right. against other right. leagues. But but Olbo and and uh, Copenhagen are the only ones that are like you know big and have like. You know, also sure. travel uh, mm. abroad and do stuff like that. But it's like, so for officiating, it's it's a very small community. Mm. There's very little opportunity for for officials, potential officials from the other leagues to kind of gain proper experience unless mm. they sign up for a game, <laughs> and that's a big jump. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's one of the things that I that I uh, am thinking about currently and probably gonna do soon <laughs> is to kind of uh, create more of a of a place where they can go and like right. learn stuff and find mentors and like find mm. people who can answer the questions and stuff because that's super important like the whole networking fact like back when I was in Calio as well we we created this like what was it in 15 or something I don't did so many weird things in 15 like I did like yeah. a 
our derby, our officiating derby stats, like just the Calio officials, like how yeah. many games had we traveled, like uh, traveled for, how many tournaments, how many countries, how many certifications do we have, like all that kind of stuff. It was like the big stats here. It was very fun. We did so many things. We were so active. Um, but then I also did the 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 Frodo Awards. And that was basically to figure out how many officials do we actually have in Finland. Mm, okay. Because there were so many small leagues, like over 20 leagues. Um, Finland is like, in regards of people, there's not that many people and it's a big country. Mm. So the leagues are also spread out. There's a bunch of them in the south around Helsinki. But then there's also some spread out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and there are officials that we would never meet if you didn't travel there. Right. Um, so it was kind of a big mystery to me. Like, mm. they have games. Who are these people? I want to know who these people are. So I did this, this Frodo Award uh, where, where everybody could nominate officials for all kinds of things. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, like as broad as possible. Yeah. You know, whatever. It was not so much about, like, you know, making sure that people got, like, you know, recognized for being awesome or whatever it was more like we just want to recognize that you're an official so yeah. it was like i brought in all the nominations and i don't remember the numbers but it was like in the hundreds i think wow and it was really great and it was a really good eye-opener um to see that oh we actually have officials out there and but you know so how do we make sure that they feel seen and, and that they get connected with each other mm. and that we get to know them so we can kind of help them. Mm. And that was that was really cool. Um, and that was a really good tool for just making sure that, that officials kind of can grow within Finland because right. the first step is to kind of see that they are there <laughs> um, and where they are and mm. what they can do and what they're doing. And, and one other example of that kind of thing as well was um, I remember that was probably around the same time or even earlier when I was traveling a lot to tournaments like Scott and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I met so few officials from Germany. Yeah. Like there was a, there was the refs like you and, and König and like people like that. Uh, and Ivy Nixon and I was French, but lived in Germany. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we had to import them as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but I was like, where are all the other Germans? Because you have mm -hmm. games in Germany. <laughs> But I never see any Germans, like apart from like the four or five officials yeah. that we would see at tournaments everywhere else. And it was like, they must exist. And I was like, do you? And then I asked Ivy, do you know any German officials? And it was like, well, I don't know this, you know, these and these, maybe blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah. but what about the rest of the leagues? And then I was like, well, you should just start a Facebook group. And then I don't remember who actually ended up doing it, but someone created an NSO Germany. Mm, okay. Facebook group yeah. and then suddenly all these Germans were connected I was like yes there they are and it was totally like uh, for my own uh, benefit as well because I wanted to go and officiate in some German games right yeah but they were never like all the small games were never posted in official sounds or mm, anything mm. and I wanted to know like where do I need to go <laughs> who do I need to get to know yeah. like you know in the other leagues in Germany so that was very it was fun and then it kind of grew big mm. And it's still active, so that's it's like getting people connected and giving them cool uh, like tools to to meet each other is like really useful yeah. as well. And that's also one of the reasons why I want to kind of 
do this for Denmark as well, which should, should be relatively easy because there's not that many of us. But there's also not easy in Derby, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's it's because a lot of them, like we have the 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 Army of Darkness, uh, which is like the the off track and Ironmonger legacy uh, name of the, our officiating crew in Copenhagen. Um, where we have the, you know, we have a skating song with a Star Wars theme and stuff like that. We mm. walk into the middle of the track and everything. Uh, we wore black before everybody else. <laughs> do you think that's that's one of the questions? Like, do, do you think that the armor of darkness is the, the one of the main reasons why we, as NSOs, were mostly black these days? No, I I don't think that. I think that's um, I think. The black is also a practical thing and it's a branding thing in terms of like, well, the pink is kind of like, <laughs> nobody you liked know, the pink. nobody liked the pink. There was always like 50 shades of pink on track <laughs> because everybody wore a different pink. True, yeah. Uh, so even though it was like supposed to be like professional looking, whatever, it's never uniform. And also these days we don't care so much about professionalism in that way hmm. as we did that back then. It's like back then it was very like, need to be professional yeah. we need to look professional in the first place I yeah think, yeah yeah i think like you said nowadays it's more like you know put your professionalism in what you do yeah not how you look yeah exactly and also it's yeah like was it picante you talked with the same subjects as well with the whole like we don't greet each other and skaters and mm. stuff like that i mean i had a skater yesterday who came and gave me a kiss on the cheek before the game it's like okay yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we're all friends so it's like uh, exactly. and, and everybody is aware of that like including the skaters and the teams so yeah. like yeah you're part of this so of course we're happy to see you yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and uh and it doesn't mean that that it becomes a bias during the game i don't i don't see like uh, my friend of course i'm happy when my friends do well on track but it's not how I officiate the game. Yeah, right. That's that's a great point because, like, in that sense, um, if there's ever doubt, I feel like for officials favoring their own team over the other, it, for me, it would rather be the complete opposite because I don't want the team su to succeed just because I, you know, called something on the other team and be like, yeah. haha, now I sent their jammer to the box so my team can score. It's like, I would never want to do it. I, I'm so happy for them when they have success and I like, I don't want to have uh, any anything to do in that other than facilitating a game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, you want to, in a way, you're also there to, to have the best game that you can have. Mm. Like, and the best game you can have is is if you facilitate like a safe and fair and smooth game. Right, exactly. That's like, that's the point of that's me our, being there. That's, that's kind of winning. That's my pride. Yeah, like yeah. if I can do that, it's like, that's the best game ever. If yeah. you can say like, yes, I achieved this goal. Mm. It's not about who won. Like I can have a really good game and like be kind of sad that my team didn't win. Mm. But that's the team. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I just made sure that they had the best possible, like most fair, most safe mm. environment to do that in. Mm. Let's uh, jump a bit in topics here. But uh, I mean, it kind of adds to that with the we're facilitating games. But what do you think is like the secret recipe for good communication between a head NSO and a head ref? Um, I mean, 
by now it's like a lot of the head refs that I work with I know very well <laughs> so um to be honest a lot of times when I go into a game it's like yeah we we look at each other and we're like yeah we we both know what we yeah. really need to do and then you kind of supplement each other you know also captain's meeting and stuff you have information that you know uh, we need every time we go through stuff mm. um you don't really have to kind of have so much of a briefing beforehand necessarily um but also uh you get with experience you get used to different styles of head refing as well mm -hmm. so you can um i think i'm pretty used to adapting to head ref styles mm -hmm. well. like like what do they need from me mm. um so if i don't know anybody there you know if i don't know someone like that i'm that that is head head refing a game that i've had in this song for like you know, you have like a little checklist you go through. Mm -hmm. But the the during a game, it's like, I mean, I, I also want to make sure that the the referees have all the, it's like with the skaters, I want to be able to facilitate the, the referees game mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the best way possible. And of course, that depends on what kind of NSO crew I also have. Right. So like, a lot of the things that you can do in preparation for a game, if you have, for example, if you have an NSO crew that is very mixed level, there's different things that you can do to support your ref crew than if you have a NSO crew that is very experienced. Um, so you just also you can also have to manage expectations so you can help each other out during the game. Yeah. And it's like if your ref crew doesn't know that you have very inexperienced scorekeepers. Or if your ref crew doesn't know that um, your box is a little bit wonky because yeah. people don't are doing it for the first time or something, so there might be some small issues in the box, and we need mm. to have an extra eye on it. Or the box manager is not used to calling penalties or doesn't mm. you know know all the intricacies of like you know for example a skater um, cutting through the infield on the way to the box or something. Um, you know, you, you can have a box timer that will see that and call that and, you know, uh, give the penalty and communicate to the penalty tracker and then doop, everything is gone. Yeah. Done, you know, yeah. refs don't need to get involved. Nope. Or you might have a, a box that can facilitate foul outs smoothly so you don't even have to stop uh, for an official timeout uh, between jams because everything's taken care of, it's communicated to the benches. Skaters know what they're supposed to do, mm. all that kind of stuff. Um, that's a different situation than if you need the ref crew to kind of take over some of that or have an extra eye on things or right. do things mm. um, in those situations. So I think like the the managing the expectations of, you know, who will do what during yeah. the game or who will need more information from you than you might be used to to or um, are we in a loud venue <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we have uh, penalty trackers that are going to be a bit challenged because they can't hear you so they yeah. need to be able to see you all that kind of stuff so that kind of communication helps a lot mm. because it can make the game smooth for the, smoother for the refs as well yeah. because they don't need to they know how to uh, compensate for certain elements right that they don't have to worry about anymore yeah. because they know how to just fix it quickly yeah. i mean that's what always that's what always gives me safety is like for instance when we work together i know that i can just 
count on that we have a good non-verbal communication that I can just, you know, throw you a look or we have little hand signals that we know. And that's like, that's functioning really well. Mm. Uh, but yes, that, I mean, that, that has grown, I guess, over. It comes with experience. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the most joy, like some of the most joyful experiences officiating is when you have like, you're, you're at a big event and you have like a really experienced ref crew and a mm. really experienced NSO crew and mm. you just see all the little nods and like yeah. <laughs> going, like you th see something happening on track and then you see the chain reaction of people just like click, 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 click. Yeah. And you know, all the information has gone all the ways, like th through everybody and everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, and you know that they are aware and you just look up and they're like yep and then you move on yeah, <laughs> and it's so beautiful and like yeah exactly it's a joy yeah. but the the opposite is also fun i must say like i have in the past like especially during the time when i was traveling a lot for big tournaments and i was doing a lot of tournament heading and crew heading and like doing a lot of big things like i th i thought out like really small events Mm -hmm. like with leagues that don't have a lot of officials because it brings you different experience like you train different parts of your brain doing that kind of stuff so you go somewhere where the head ref is doing their third game right and you have like maybe two nso's that have done it before and the night before you sit sit together with them and go through all the positions so mm -hmm. they have a chance of doing what they're supposed to be doing and right. like putting out fires every two seconds it's like a It can also be fun. Yeah. And if I, you choose to uh, be in that situation, yeah. you are thrown into it because you have <laughs> no choice and it's not as fun. But I think that's uh, at least on the referee side of things as well. Like when I teach people, it's like they're most, I feel like they're most anxious about high level games where the teams are mm. super experienced. And I always tell them like, those are the games that are most, mostly smooth and clean because the skaters are so experienced they absolutely know what they're doing yeah the like the weirdest things happen at those where the leagues are having their first like organized games and that's this is where you really learn weird stuff will happen oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it's like yeah that's when uh gem timers can get run over because they are doing the rolling whistle and the team is so excited to start <laughs> that they just you know get skating yeah um, yeah but that's uh that's i think like, this is where your knowledge really gets tested uh, yeah. your and then uh, it's of course a great opportunity for all officials to learn and to do it's like this is also just if you're super you know super experienced still to expose yourself to this is exactly what we talked about at the start it's like putting you back into this position of okay now i need to go back to my rusty parts of knowledge and see if they still work Yeah, and I need to apply it in situations where everybody is like super confused and mm. you have to kind of bring in the, the confidence and the clear communication and kind of uh, put them in a place where they get calmed down and like feel in safe hands and stuff like that. Like yeah. it's, it, it takes a lot of uh, extra communication a lot of the time and like a lot of weird problem solving. <laughs> I've also had like games where... where Yeah, where I had like a, a very inexperienced ref, a head ref, and like uh, there was a weird situation happening. And I remember I went up to him. So we have this situation, and uh, here are the you know here are the rules, and here are two options hmm. how you could call it within the rules, and it's uh, it's your job. Mm -hmm. So there you go. 
make it make it make a decision <laughs> and then I left again because it was very clear that he didn't know what to do in the situation he mm-hmm. didn't have the rules knowledge like he didn't know like sure. how to solve it and I was just like okay here are two options that are within the rules it's kind of discretion situation as well like you could do it this way or this way mm. and then I was like there you go <laughs> and it was a that's that's kind of fun as well when you can kind of help people understand that it's it's not there's not just one yeah right way of doing things in 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 all situations it's like there's a lot of discretion and that takes experience and it also takes a bit of confidence Mm -hmm. so it's like uh, yeah and it it takes a lot of understanding of the big picture of like you know the game flow and like safety and fairness like how do you how do you make sure that you you hit each of these at at a high level as possible it's like uh, I think sometimes that gets forgotten a little bit. Like mm. people overcompensate a little bit when they have oh, yeah. rulings and stuff. They try to be like overly fair and then it becomes unfair again. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah. Those are the fun brain gymnastics when you get to games like that. It's still challenging. Like no matter how often you do it, it's still challenging. It still offers yeah. a new challenge every time you're on the track. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So what do you think is the, as like a rounding up question here, but what is the one NSO job every skater should do at least once? I mean, the obvious one would be uh, pally box timing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's the most helpful, especially in the start when you're a skater, because mm-hmm. that's where you make the most mistakes. Mm. So when you can get like new skaters uh, acquainted with the box in that way, that they learn how to operate the penalty box, that will help them a lot, in the, especially in the start. But it's like, I think in general, skaters should try officiating at least a little bit, like, mm-hmm. uh, because it, it, it will give them like a, a, a good understanding on how the game is operated. Like, because they are part of that game and they are the ones that are kind of, you know, moved around <laughs> uh, among the officials in a way, like especially the NSOs, like when you have like, when they are sent to the box and sent back on track and uh, what does a scoreboard look like? Like wh- what do things in the scoreboard mean? Like, you know, uh, also for the bench coaches to mm. learn, like how can I use that as a tool? Yeah. Like it's like, there's so many small things, like how do star passes work? <laughs> <laughs> there are so many misunderstandings. We used to spend a lot of time in those officials' meetings yeah. just discussing on what the star pass looks like. Exactly. And it's like people get a little bit confused about also like, oh, they, I got lead, but now I'm not lead. And why is that? Or like like when you have a situation where, where you know, there's a star pass and then the original jammer gets a penalty and then the new jammer gets told that they're not the jammer and then they get all confused. But I, you know... It was a legal star pass, yes, but there was a penalty before the star pass happened. And, I, yeah, yeah. and then, you know, all those little things, they can add a lot of confusion in the, in the game situation where skaters get distracted instead of being like, ah, you know, yeah. this is obviously what happened. Mm. And when you've been officiating and kind of you have that knowledge because that's what you're focused on. Like, you know, those little intricacies of like, yes, people, sometimes things happen uh, out of order. Mm. And then you backtrack to kind of correct your paperwork, for example, <laughs> like, mm. and it, it can help a lot. Um, and of course, like, uh, 
refereeing for skaters, I think is also would be super useful because it's like seeing the game more focused from outside, like uh, what is happening and and like what is a penalty and what isn't, like just about isn't. It's yeah. like, of course that's super useful mm -hmm. because that also means that they know uh, in detail what to avoid on track and like, you know, what pulls the penalties and also when to commit a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> because it can also be a choice. And how to do that effectively <laughs> in a good yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> to to recognize when it's necessary and when it isn't. It's like it's 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 as an official as well, like when you travel a lot, you also see how the the rules knowledge of skaters and benches affects the strategy on track. Mm. It becomes very clear when a team is very knowledgeable about what they can do and what they can't do. It has a big effect yeah. on strategy. It's like even just even from like a point of view of like being in the penalty box, because being in a penalty box also can affect the game on track. And if they're very aware of each other, going to and leaving the penalty box can be part of a strategy. Yeah. So yeah. it's like uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting. Yeah, and that's especially that like you see with teams that are experienced and have knowledge and that that they utilize and use this really well. Uh, if the like opposing jammers in the box that they you know even if they could maybe score a point more, mm. they call it off just to keep them there to start in a power jam scenario and uh, vice versa as well. Just to, like try to keep the jam a bit more going so yeah. their jammer gets out again. Or being aware of uh, whether the other jammer is still on their initial pass or yeah. like, you know, they get sent to the box on the initial pass maybe and now they're coming out and now they're all panicky and like calling yeah. it off so they don't score points. It's like, uh, you would have had another pass. <laughs> it's like, those are free points. Yeah. But it's like, and that game awareness gets got built with officiating as well. So it's like, uh, yeah. It's, it's one of the things that, uh, going back to the, the good old Calio days, which I have a lot of nostalgia for. <laughs> mm. But it's like we we uh, we did a lot of work like teaching everybody to officiate as well, like uh, both the new ones, but we also had like some of our veteran skaters who officiated regularly, like a lot of the A team skaters, even the, uh, some of the ones that went to the you know playoffs and stuff, they were also officiating at a high level, mm -hmm. like, um, and it it, met, it also created a culture of like you know. It's it's a good thing to be officiating because it gives you other perspectives and like it teaches you about the game and makes you more knowledgeable on, on track and all that kind of stuff. It also makes the league less vulnerable to losing members mm -hmm. because we all, all need breaks from time to time and if you can contribute to your league uh, by you know showing up for scrimmage from time to time to officiate or like sign up for a game or um, whatever it's like it means that people don't drop out as easily if they have like three months where they don't they have an injury or they're too busy at work or they're in the middle of a big move or something mm -hmm. um, you don't risk them just forgetting to show up and then you never see them again yeah. because they got busy with other things. So it's like, uh, yeah, officiating is beneficial for a lot of things for skaters. And that is one of them as well, like yeah. retention of like members. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think this is the perfect wrap up. 
<laughs> I couldn't have planned for a better ending. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time out of your very, very, very busy schedule yeah, on a Sunday of... after a super challenging triple header that we had yesterday. I'm just glad I still have a voice <laughs> after jam Yeah, that's a, that's a one thing we need for this. So yeah. I'm... Yeah, thank you very much for doing this. You're welcome. <laughs>